IWC, welcome to Wrestling on the Rocks. I'm at Ref Marsh. We're at the BTR deal the show. With me today, Digi. What's going on, man? Hey, man. Episode the one. Yeah, it's episode one again. I was having issues as we were doing our intro. That's why I kind of came in a little startled. Like, headphones started messing up. Then everything looked frozen, and I had to wait to see if it actually was frozen. Just a classic episode one, you know? Yeah. First show is always that bad, you know. You always gotta yeah. iron out the wrinkles. Yeah, you get the kinks out as you go. How's it mm. going, man? I'm doing good. There's been a lot of good stuff on the shows recently here. This week had a lot of pretty good stuff. Last week felt kind of a down. I don't know if you felt that way. Last week, both Raw and SmackDown were kind of a letdown to us. Um, a lot of yeah, a it was lot just average. Like, it wasn't anything exciting. It wasn't bad. It was just average. Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. There was a few things I found disappointing just because of, of I suppose, expectations or what you want for people. But at the same time, you don't know what they want, right? Mm-hmm. But as a fan, you just kind of want certain things for your for your favorites. You know what I mean? But Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but this week was really he- heating up on a bunch of stuff that I thought was really cool. Uh 
there's still some stuff that just I don't quite get or think is clicking. And so I'm hoping you can help me get there. So we'll sure. Find out. Um, as far as anything like news wise that I read, the only thing that came up at all that I thought was uh, funny was a lot of people were freaking out. Vince McMahon was backstage for Raw. Yeah. Um, I don't know, obviously, anything about that. We weren't backstage either, what he did or didn't do. But I, I did like the big report coming out of it was supposedly he may or may not have had a mustache. And I was like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've heard it was, you know, not glorious. Like, I got the, this manly thing going on. It was just kind of like five o'clock shadowed. Yeah. Uh, I'd heard that, you know, the wrestlers were not happy he was backstage. I mean, we don't know, right? But right, that's, that's what I heard. Yeah, I uh, I did find it funny. There was a photo going around of uh, Vince with a mustache, and then uh, <laughs> yeah. people found the original photo that it was photoshopped in, which made it even funnier to me. <laughs> <laughs> I I apologize. It's my stuff for my kid. All right. <sighs> All right. You need to silent it or anything, or. Uh, no, I'm good. We're good. Uh, but let's get into SmackDown because it got started real hot. Mm-hmm. Opening up Roman Reigns. I was afraid it was going to be. I mean, I don't mean this to be like those respectful, but like the last three weeks it opened up with Braun Strowman. Yeah. And I was like every week I was going, wow, like again, huh? Because I was like, usually as far as we know, as far as we've been told, you open up with somebody you think is going to bring in a lot of people or you think people are going to be super excited to see. So the bronze music being the first one to hit week after week, I was like, man, they got a lot of uh, faith in this guy moving forward. So cool for him. Yeah. Also kind of neat because it was typically tag team stuff. So it was also like, all right, they're starting off with tag teams thinking that's big. Um, but this week opened up with Roman. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of the, the bronze German stuff, it almost like that whole Twitter thing. Mm-hmm. That that may have been a work because like right after that he starts his whole thing where he's tagging with Ricochet and then they put him you know in the front line. I I kind of think this was all a work. Huh. I could see that. I mean, I'm not too smart to admit that that could definitely be the way. I think that part of it. I don't. I mean, if it if it was a work, I don't think it came from a place of untruth. I do think mm. that Braun has said stuff like that in the past. I do think he does feel like big heavyweights make big money, mm-hmm. uh, and do do it differently than the the flippy dippies, as they say. I think that they also worked that in. Is just kind of my my hunch. Also, I don't think that he actually disrespects or doesn't believe those guys are any good or athletes. I think when he did that that tweet about him and almost i think he was just really fucking excited about how good that match came off with yeah dudes doing it old school style and that that's what i'd said about it to begin with was that you know and just kind of going back a little bit here almost has a lot of work to go and the fact that these matches are getting passable as a big man and he's getting better with this presentation and his look uh i think that's a great way to go for him and to have him and Braun work a passable match as two big men was a good idea. Yeah, it was good. And now they're they're both going their own ways, which is pretty good. Uh, but SmackDown did open up with uh, Roman Reigns coming out. And before he even says anything, Cody's music hits. <laughs> and he comes out. I was a little 
I was a little surprised at the way that, but but Roman's just so good. But I was surprised you, at the way that Cody was all like, "Hey, I'd like it to be one on one unless you think you need them," which was kind of a pot shot telling the tribal chief what to do like those are the kind of things that you think might make him mad or say you know i do want them here because this is my show and you're a guest my family stays you know what i mean like i kind of expected something sort of like that but he just kind of smiled and was like okay and he was like you know wise man get the hell out of here and then he goes all right but i'm gonna leave solo and he goes nope solo goes too and then jimmy didn't have to be told he just rolled out like you know, Jamie got the message. He knew what was up, so he left. And they're one-on-one, dude. Cody and Roman are so good together. This was amazing. The emotions that Cody's able to, to pull off in this, and I'm sure, obviously, because some of it has to do with family, and there's got to be a tinge of of reality to it in his mind, or easily enough, close enough that he can twist it, because, like, I don't know, nine kayfabe? Do you think Dusty Rhodes never talked about his kid ever? No. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not to say. I would think it's more that he... uh, Yeah, people he worked with that, you know, he was personal with, that he was close to, like the Orton family and things of that nature, so maybe there's a little more familial, but some guy up the street he's not really interested in talking about. I think that's a place for it. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he never talked about his kids. I mean, and also maybe the idea, like, if we if we are to believe it, kayfabe, then maybe the idea is also like, hey, when I sat one-on-one with him and talked about stuff, mm. he didn't bring you up. You know what I mean? Like, and that could also be fine, too. So that's what I mean. Like, the idea that it could be real, the idea that it could be close enough to reality to where Cody can reach in and get those feelings out is so cool, dude. But... It... The, the promo back and forth was so good. There was a lot of, you know, recalls of history and a lot of things that it was a classic back and forth between these two. You you knew who the baby face was. You knew who the heel was. You were excited to see it go down. And they've done a good transition to where, while Sammy is still very hot, he's less focused on Roman, and it gives the rest of the bloodline something to work at. Hmm. We'll get back to that because I definitely hmm. want to talk about Sammy, but we're trying to talk about Cody here. Well, yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying is it's not him. It's, you know, Cody is the focus. He's the baby face. He's the focus. They've got so much going on and they have great chemistry. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And with Cody being as hot as he is, or with Sammy being as hot as he is, really, it's good to see these moments and have the crowd not be changing Sammy. Yeah. Because that's also the fear is that they start going no 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 we don't want this but people do want this they just also want sammy to succeed like yeah it's pretty fucking cool um what was it in this and promo? it's a testament to really cody and roman is that they were able to pull this off in a transition that you know you either were gonna make it or you weren't yeah and then i mean i was on the edge of my seat for this whole fucking promo dude. oh yeah my like, shit's all fucked up isn't it uh, a little bit, but yeah, I might need to they can still see that glorious beard, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dude, and so I was telling uh, Kevlar, alumni of the show, uh, mm-hmm. right after, I don't know, maybe it was Elimination Chamber, we were talking about how hot Cody's getting about everything. Yeah. 
I told him, I was like, wait for it. You're going to start seeing it. All the AEW super fans are going to start saying that this proves that, a, that AEW is better than WWE because Cody wasn't the top guy in AEW, but he is here. That that proves. And I finally started seeing him. I even sent him one where someone's all like, it's laughable that that people are so happy for Cody here, given that he was the 10th to 15th best guy in AEW. This just proves that there's at least 10 more guys in AEW that could wipe the floor with Roman. And I was yeah. like, <laughs> but it doesn't. It doesn't yeah. do that at all. What it does is prove that AEW had a number one face of your company type of guy and didn't know how to use them. You know? Well, that's it's like with, with the promo, as you said, me and my friends put together a little indie show they said nobody was ever going to watch. It's like... Yeah, I love that nod. It's like, wow, dude. You know, it shows he respects his story from both ends of the table. Yes. You know? And he's not afraid of, I had a shitty gimmick. Yeah. You know, they said I'd never survive Stardust. And I did. And Cody was hot back in the day when he was with the um, Legacy. Yeah. It was was at one point where he was like a top story in WWE in his own right. So it's not like... He's never gotten shine before and wasn't like a top guy in WWE before AEW. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I think that, I mean, to me, you watch Cody and Roman side by side and face to face. And for one, you realize how big Cody is because it's not like he's dwarfing Roman, but Roman's not dwarfing him either. They both look like size wise. You go, damn, Cody's a big dude. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I just think it's funny because I like pettiness. The people are all like, oh, see, yeah. everyone in AEW is better than Roman. You're like, no, no. You can't have both arguments because the other side is like everyone who leaves WWE was misused. No one knew how to use them. No one knew how to capitalize them. Someone leaves AEW and goes on to become the headline of WrestleMania, and it's not they were misused. It was, oh, they must not be very good. That means everyone else is better. <laughs> they had the same thing with Impact when AJ Styles came in at the Royal Rumble. It was- you, you had a lot of their fans because Impact, maybe not as large of a reach, but their fans are rabid. Yeah. So you had the same thing. Yeah. Uh, anything specifically about that promo you wanted to put out other than uh, – I had a bunch of words from it pulled, but I don't have that now. <laughs> I, I loved it. Like you, you couldn't have asked for a better interaction. It was – like it was a shoot and a work at the same time because you got to imagine there's something real there, but it, it was good. It made me want to watch these two. Yeah. It made me want to watch them. And I think that the best, the best works as we uh, nerds say, when we think we're part of the business uh, <laughs> are the ones where you really don't know where it begins and ends. Like that's classic old school style. And I feel like that's kind of what they're doing here. Where a lot of stuff like, like, for the most part, as much as I like Bray, you know that none of it is coming from a place of genuine. You know what I mean? It's almost yeah. a surprise when you when he brings up something and you go, yeah, maybe that did happen a little messed up back then. You know what I mean? But it's the other way around where it's all like, okay, this is all phony. But, it, I mean, entertaining nonetheless to me. I still enjoy them. But there's no lost in the moment of like, wait a second. You know, where's where's it begin and end? 
Cody Roman is all that right here where yeah. I don't know where it's beginning and ending. Uh, and tomorrow we're going to talk about um, Roxanne and that same Ooh. theory there too. Um, Cause I thought that was done expertly. I'm, I'm digging this super dark tag team. Uh, they've got going on there with uh, Alba. Oh, Isla and I, Alba. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. That's smart. Yeah. Um, but even then, yeah, like, what are they going to do? But then what are they going to do? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, my problem, we'll talk about it when we get to Raw, I suppose, the women's tag titles don't have a tag division. And it's more yeah. evident than ever. And NXT just keeps rocking their tag division with women, but no one's getting out of NXT. When was the last time we had an NXT call-up? No, we've had people come from the main roster to NXT, which, and it's yep. right is smart. Yep. But there's got to be a transition at some point. We need people coming up. The last people we got up was Legato del Fantasma. What's gone on there? Uh, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, you've had that whole thing with Ray, which is neat, but... Which is Santos, not Legato. Right. And, and Santos you know, coming up is great, but what happened to the tag team? What are, are they injured? What happened to Zelina? She's been traveling. Like you bring up a faction and you haven't established them as a strong faction before they're already doing their own stories. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm I'm kind of surprised, you know, with because you know going to that segment is you know you have uh, Dom out there and he's got Rhea. Why do we not have a Zelina? Mm-hmm. Like it just screams sense. Yes, and I know that the that the real reason was she was out of town. She was traveling. She was posting all over her um, her her Instagram. She was like doing some sort of award ceremony thing. She was doing something with the anime stuff. Doing something with Street Fighter. Like she's doing international press for them, which is dope. But oh yeah, in kayfabe, I'm watching it going. Why Santos alone? Like even yeah. if Rhea is on the outside, why doesn't he have at least Joaquin? Are both members injured right now? You know what I mean? Like yeah. Because they could have even done it where one is out there. If one is injured, Santos could be walking out with one of his buddies, and they could even mention, yeah, he's not going to make it. He's he's watching out for Zelina. She's got business or some shit. And then you go, oh, yeah, they're they're a familia. You know what I mean? Like, you go, oh, they got it. They're getting each other's backs everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, But this is just yeah. Santos is alone all of a sudden, and I don't get that at all. Not that I'm yeah. unhappy with it, because I think Santos is amazing. But... If I'm going to keep pointing out Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart broke up and we don't know why or when or ever, then I'm going to bring up yeah. to that Santos is just suddenly alone. Um, yeah. For a like, dude who. Even, one even more if thing with Santos. If who? Even oh, if like Mysterio? Ray could have been in his corner. Yeah. Like. Um, yes and no. Family. Because of the mask. I mean. Yeah, but you couldn't get away with that in this story, in this particular uh, thing we're about to get to. And then we'll go back to, to mm. Libria. But Dominic versus Santos was fantastic. Ray couldn't have been ringside because that would have been a little too obvious. This mm. allowed for the whole story to flesh out where Ray comes out. Like, come on, man. Like, I'm trying to stay out of your business. You know what I mean? Like, Ray's trying to stay out. Or if he was ringside, that means he's trying to get in, right? Um, but I loved the match, dude. Dominic and Santos oh, worked yeah. really well together. Dominic's getting so good, and he's starting to put on some muscle. Mm-hmm. They're they're gonna have to cut the the jailhouse gimmick, and they're starting to move away from that. 
What are you talking about? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. Why would you cut that gimmick? That's everything to him. It might be everything to him, but you know, everything that's part of a story where you make it that central line of a character, like Cody, you talk about his father. Roman, you talk about his family, and you just you carry down the line these core parts of a personality, like Finn. You know, he's the leader, the show, the expectation. Um, I could go on and on. If this is going to be central, somebody's got to call him on it. And it's becoming less and less of a mention. If it's not mm. Corey Graves, you don't hear about it right now. Yeah, and he says it a little bit more in passing. You know, I learned this in prison. And in prison, we did things this way. Mm-hmm. And then whoever he's saying that to just kind of like scoffs and looks away, but no one is calling him on it, like you said. No one's doing the Kevin Owens yelling in his face about being there for an hour. The closest we got was Miz saying it, and then Miz got his ass kicked. Yeah. It's like the whole Ezekiel thing, but that's another story. <laughs> so good. I love that. My favorite part about the whole Ezekiel thing, to me, it was the most on-the-nose mocking of the IWC that I've ever seen on TV. Because oh, yeah. it was like, no matter what you do, Kevin Owens was the voice of the IWC, where Ezekiel was the face of a, any generic rebranding. Look, he's just a different person. You can't get over that? Like, let's move on. No, no, I will not move on. You know what I mean? It was just perfect. I was like, this is so meta. <laughs> and, and the fact that, you know, what made it great for me is taking all that in and realizing that they dressed the Zeke gimmick as if he was the ultimate warrior. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a warrior macho man kind of mix yeah for sure dude it was so good uh but going back to santos yeah santos is perfection dude he's him him on the mic incredible he's got it like, all he's what he's got it all he's got the look yeah. he's got the skill he can work a mic like yeah he can work multiple styles like i don't like, if this was, if I was remaking, I mean, this is going to probably come off really weird, but you're mm-hmm. wrong, or someone will probably take out of context or whatever. But, like, if I was making a new promotion, anything close to the style of Lucha Underground, like how they built the whole thing kind of around Puma, yep. I'd put the whole thing around uh, around Santos. But I know that Santos was in Lucha Underground. This isn't that I'm unaware of any of that. But I'm saying he's the type of dude who has so many skills that I don't yeah. know why he wouldn't be your centerpiece. You know what I mean? Like, I watch blue underground in hindsight and go yes i think ricochet is awesome and i love that they kind of like started the whole thing centered around him but if it was me santos would have been the safe bet you know what i mean yeah like if i look at it as you know because ray's he's almost done he's almost out entirely that santos is meant to be that guy not to replace him but be akin to him Mm -hmm. uh because part of Ray's shtick is, you know, he's the tiny guy, David Goliath, never back down. And Santos is just similar kind of style. I'll fight anybody, anywhere, anytime, in any style I need to. But it's not David and Goliath. It's I'm just that good. Kind of like when Ricochet showed up. You know, he was just that good. Yeah, know, but Santos the- also isn't that tall. Mm-mm. Like, he's not a big dude. I got to meet him. And he was super nice, too. Super cool dude. Like, we chatted for a little bit. Uh, it was right before his uh, last match in NXT mm. um, that I got to talk to him about. And I was talking to him about that match. And it was it was actually, it wasn't, like, quite a meet and greet. It was kind of a backstage thing that I was in. And I was able to just have, like, a candid conversation with him. And he was so excited about that match. And we were kind of going back and forth. We're also like, look, 
I like you a lot, but I want you to lose this match because I just want to <laughs> see you on a big stage. And I was like, and if this is what forces you out, <laughs> then I'm all for that. And he kind of gave me a fist bump and was all like, I want to be on that big stage too. So, um, yeah, but he's not big. So I think you still could play that up, especially as you're getting guys like almost if Brock Lesnar doesn't leave, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, you still have the Braun Strowmans that they're hanging their hat on. Roman is a big dude. Santos would look kind of small next to Roman, but if Santos is also not as extreme in size difference with Ray, but has that fighting spirit that we that we know, then mm. I think you can actually play really well. You know what I mean? Yeah, but then, and, and this is my thought, is, okay, so you, you put that, as your centerpiece, what do you do with Phantasma? Like, I expected that rather than going into the feud that they've had, while completely lightning in a bottle, it's why haven't, you know, Phantasma gone after the bloodline? Because it just seems like a natural faction feud. And I think that's us. I think that's fan booking. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think that's us as fans being like, ooh, there's a group. Oh, there's another group. Let's put them together. Um, you know what I mean? I think that, like, the styles would work. The styles would be great. But as far as, like, is there an actual story there? Not really, but you could make one, right? I think yeah. that everything happening with the Bloodline right now is just so natural. Yeah. That that's that's probably the biggest reason why. If they didn't know what to do with the Bloodline next, Phantasma would be a great transitional feud as they get to the big show you know what i mean and then yeah. get somewhere else but that's how fair. you're gonna deny sammy and ko right now you know that's um, true they're fire and i'm glad they put their you know like that's kind of what we're working with is rather than just going well the fans like the fans really love this but screw you this is our booking this is becoming the the fans are really hot. We need to hit this while we can. And it's hit or miss on whether they actually do that. But it, it does feel like a compromise, though, a booking compromise. But um, which is interesting because it's not it's not one or the other like we're used to. Where it's like, all right, we'll just do 100 percent what the fans want versus, OK, we're just going to do 100 percent what we want. This feels a little bit like, well, can we both kind of get something that we're happy with? You know, mm hmm. Um, I love that even Santos was was forcing Dominic to look at the mask and saying, that's your legacy. You need to respect it. Dom spits on it and turns away. Dude, I know a lot of people are thinking that we're getting towards like a retirement match for Dom here. I think the clear thing is we're going for like a mask match because this is all about Ray's mask. The ripping of the mask, disrespecting of the mask. The mask is a symbol of legacy. Do you think it's possible, because I said it a while ago, Okay. Dominic versus Ray, mask versus hair match. Ooh. I, I think Dom wins. But do you think he would don the mask? Or do you think, to get real clever with it, Dom loses, shaves his head, and that's the moment that Ray passes down the mask? Because the Rey Mysterio name's been passed down. Yes. You know? And so are they going to continue passing it down this way, or are they going to uh, just kind of let Rey Mysterio be the end all of the Mysterio line? His daughter wrestles, right? 
I'm unaware of his daughter wrestling. I know Eddie Guerrero's daughter wrestles. Yeah, well, she used to. Yes. Um, she used to. Now she does purely burlesque. She's an amazing lady, by the way. Oh. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, because if she still wrestled, that would be a big twist, is have cool. Dom lose, and she gets the mask, and she'd be the first, like, female Mysterio with a, a mask. That would be wild. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. I don't know. I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm assuming we yeah. have the answer by Mania on that one. Uh, Rhea Ripley versus Liv Morgan. Two things notable for me on this one. I thought it was a good match. I thought they worked out really, They worked pretty well together, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. Liv tapped out, which I thought was kind of crazy because ever since Liv has become the more extreme version of Liv, she hasn't tapped out. She's passed out with a smile on her face. Which I think was part of the reason why here is I think the psychology here was that Rio was just enforcing so much pain that it was beyond live that like she's that she can withstand enough that would make her pass out, but this was so bad that it wasn't something she could even stew in until she passed out. Did it have yeah. you know what I mean? And I thought that was interesting, but I didn't think it was uh, played up enough. I thought commentary didn't didn't really say like, oh my god, that's the, you know what I mean? Like they just went like, oh, and a win, you know. Yeah, and and you're right about that because that that was clearly the point of the psychology, but it wasn't capitalized on as best as it could be. Yeah, um, because if she left the cloverleaf on, Liv would have just passed out. But then she started uh, stepping on her head, and it was okay. I can't sit here. And it, it kind of like I enjoy Liv's work. She always gets better. She's always improving. Her mic skills are good. She's really into it. Yeah, but. I mean, they could have chosen anybody else and got the same point across, but I get yeah. it. Yes. Like, yeah, they they could have pulled in enhancement talent, you know, from mm-hmm. local town and gotten the same respect. Yeah, this didn't have to be Liv to do it, and that did bother me a little bit. But as soon as I saw Rhea versus Liv announced, I was like, that's a bummer. Because you know Rhea's on her way to Mania. You know that she's on her way for a title. She's got it going strong. Yeah, and I thought the same thing. I was like, you know, as much as I like her, why couldn't it have been Shotzi? Yeah. Shotzi in a while, she could come out, have her fighting chance, and maybe that could even be part of her character growth is that she just keeps disappearing, coming back, and getting her ass kicked. She could finally have a storyline about actually, like, coming up from beneath. You know what I mean? Yeah. When, um, you know, her NXT run, you know, she was that wild card badass. Like, they, they always talk about innovative, different you know, style, but then she's losing every match and doesn't seem credible as a fighter, you know, for those who watch the main roster and have no idea of her history. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, you know. But, um, yeah. Let me see. Which, oh, the other thing that was really cool. Oh, go ahead. If I may, Shotzi is very cool. Uh I got to go back and forth with her on Twitter because I asked her about her tank. Yeah. Uh, because my my daughter wanted one <laughs> because oh. it's so cool. Yeah. And she told me where to get one and, you know, everything. She's such a cool lady. Big props to her. She's always seemed really cool to her fans. I know um, on Thursday nights uh, with Miss Amanda Jane, Miss Amanda Jane's always putting her over because she used to see her a lot on the indie scene because she was up and down California. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh yeah they got to to 
become rather friendly because she was so good with her fans and stuff. So, um, oh yeah. The other thing that was really cool in the Liv Morgan match is that they cut to the girl crying when Liv lost, and then the footage comes out in the photos, and um, they had brought the girl backstage to meet Liv, and Liv just spent time with her. Like there was clips of her just talking to them and stuff, and just fucking cool. She's been really good to her fans locally a lot like i mean like in the uh, arena she's part of those live meet and greets before the show and i've seen a lot of mm-hmm. pictures of them holding it up and it's not just live signed sometimes it's a picture of live sometimes it's those ropes you know they got the generic ropes one but every yeah. time i've seen one of the fans hold it up live signed it but she also wrote like a three sentence note it's like oh my god you look so good in that shirt i love you you know all this stuff and you just go man so many of them will just whip two initials and hand it over She's like taking the time to not just personalize it. What's your name? But like personalize it, memorialize the meeting. You know what I mean? We met and we talked about this. Like that's so fucking cool. Yeah. And she, she's very big about that, at least from observation wise, especially with the little girls. Cause she recognizes yes. she's the position she's in, yes. you know, to be that, that step up. You can do this as I can do this. Yes, absolutely. And that's, I mean, I, I think it's neat that you noticed that, too, because that was one of the conversations I had with a uh, producer lady was because as much as I love Liv, she's been rather like I see her online be like not be interactive with a lot of the fan art or artists or people in general, as long as they're guys. But if it's a woman or specifically a, a, a young girl, she's very interactive with that. And I think part of that is just the reputation that a lot of weirdo wrestling fans have given themselves over time. Um, so I don't knock her for it. I don't think that, like she's a bad person for it. But it is nice to see that if she's going to make that line, that she also strengthens the other side. You know what I mean? Like, well, so. that and she isn't. She's in a committed relationship with Bo Dallas too, right? I don't know that for a fact she's never said that i know that that was a rumor at one point i've heard specifically that it was definitely not true i've heard specifically that it was true uh i don't know and i don't that kind of thing doesn't impact me but yeah i i know it's never come up on her youtube channel because she has the most adorable youtube channel yeah (laughs) tending chickens Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) um all right, I want to I want to wrap up SmackDown with a couple things here real quick. Drew McIntyre comes out challenging Gunther, talk shit to Sheamus, dude. I gotta know from your standpoint because you and I don't think have had the Drew McIntyre conversation. Mm. Do you think that Drew's actions and words match the reaction that they clearly intend for us to be giving? In that. He's clearly portrayed as a good guy they want you to cheer, but I feel he oftentimes said asshole things in a shitty way and comes off very pompous and egotistical, not confident. You know what I mean? You don't come off like you're just confident. Hey, look, I know how good I am. I'm a former champion. It's you're less than me. I'm better than you. You're a little prick. I'm going to make fun of you. And I go, that's something I would boo normally. You know... With the way they've been kind of guiding him over, because before, you're right, he comes off as an egotistical jackass. Keep talking. I'm going to do this thing, but keep going. Fair enough. It, it, 
it comes off like an egotistical jackass, and that's been there for a while, but I think they're trying to humanize him a little bit so it does come off more as confidence. And considering, you know, him and Sheamus can work a program like nobody's business. So, you know, the guy's got all the talent in the world. They called him the future, you know, prior to him being a dick and getting himself fired. Uh, I think they're trying to, to fix that a little bit because he's got, as I've said with others, he's got the look, he's got the skill, you know, he's very, very good at what he does because he can work a match. I don't think anybody denies that. I think his promo is where he ends up with the problem. As you said, it comes off but like he, a dick. Yeah, but even then he's very comfortable talking on the mic, so he doesn't come off like he doesn't believe what he's saying. He's just saying asshole things. And that's when I go, wait a second. You sound exactly like you believe the asshole thing you're saying. You are an asshole. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. a lot of people who we think are bad at the microphone, truly all it means as fans when we go, they don't know how to work a mic. What we're actually saying, because we're fans and don't know how to say things right, is they don't sound <laughs> confident in what they're saying and they don't believe what they're saying. So I can't believe what they're saying. You know what I mean? That's, I fair. What it, that's what it typically comes down to, to me, that I think. Because when people start going like, oh, they're really catching on, you go, no, they're just starting to sound comfortable. They're starting to sound believable. And that's all it takes, right? Uh, so, yeah, and I agree with that, too. Drew's got look, size, ability. He can talk on the mic. But it's a matter of, like, what is he saying to who and when and why? Because right here, I'm like, Seamus is right, dude. You're a fucking dick. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and go ahead. Maybe that's the point, is Seamus is... Because that's what it felt like to me, is this is a transition point, is maybe Seamus is there, much like Kevin Owens, you know, calling him on his bullshit so he can evolve as a character. I, and that's what I hope, because I've been saying it for years of episode once. Drew is a heel. He's a bad guy. I want to boo him. He's a good-looking, fighting guy. He's the big jock who bullies the little kids. And the freshman. And he talks that way. He talks like, and he makes bad jokes, but looks at everyone and smiles like, are you going to laugh at my joke or do I have to slap you in the face? Like, that's how he's coming across. I think he's a natural heel. But at the same time, I do believe mm -hmm. one of the reasons why he's a babyface and one of the reasons why every podcaster who gets backstage access talks about how good Drew is all the time is because I think in real life, he's the nicest fucking dude. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? He'll tow your car by hand if he's got to. You know what I mean? Like, I get the impression he is a really good guy. But he comes off like a dick on TV. And so to me, that's the disconnect is like, I want to boo you, but I also want to have a drink with you, right? I'm confused. You're not funny, but I think you'd be fun to be around. You know what I mean? Like, it's this weird thing. And so I'm hoping that this shameless conversation sways him into just full asshole, dude. Like, yeah. Can you imagine if they, like, went – I mean, and, and if he could do it without oh, exaggerating. Remember when he was the Scottish psychopath and the Scottish Terminator? It was so thought, good. It was good, but he also thought he had to be a robot because he didn't get the the details. So he moves like a robot, and he goes, I'm a Terminator. And you're like, no, you're not, dude. Ooh, yeah. Sportsbeard coming through the chat. He says he was so heartbroken when Jay kicked Sammy. For Sportsbeard yeah. specific, let me – Shoot over to that real quick. I'll post it back online. I'll retweet it so you guys can find it. 
the moment before he kicks Sammy, when he hugs Sammy, Jay leans in and spins Sammy around. So now Sammy's face is on the camera side and you see Sammy go like look down and over. It looks like Jay whispers something to Sammy. He pushes him back and then super kicks him. It broke my heart too. However, that moment where he's clutching Jay's or Jimmy's shirt, Jimmy is going to get his ass kicked by Ray if, or not by Ray, by Roman. If Jay doesn't come back, Roman said that if he doesn't come back, I'm blaming Jimmy. Yeah. How did this all start? This started with Jay screaming to Roman. I hate you. And saying, I quit to save Jimmy. We know Jay will do anything to save Jimmy. And we knew that Jimmy was on the line here again. In my heart, I think this is all the play to get Roman back on the side of no longer being paranoid about Jimmy and Jay. And I think it's Jay working Jimmy out of the bloodline. And I think that the will, I think they will take Sammy's side at some point, but Oh my God, how beautiful was that whole moment put together? What he said was, cause I, I went back over the audio. Mm-hmm. What Jimmy said to Sammy was, yep. I trust you. Yes. I got your back. And then super kicked him. That, so, boom, I trust you. He pulls him in for the hug, whispers to him, and then pushes him back, kick. It's the, I trust you, and now it's and now you have to trust me. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I kind of feel that's the way this is going to go because you can't keep the bloodline going forever, especially when you're, you're going to push Solo Sokoa, who they've protected like all hell. Oh yeah, you know so Roman, Roman's dropping that title. I WrestleMania is going to be that. I mark my words. Cody's got this because it will be that main event show leave off feel good moment that everybody's yep. going to want to talk about. Dude, I remember I wasn't even watching All In. I didn't give a shit about the Young Bucks. I didn't give a shit about the Bullet Club. I just did not care. But I remember. Here's the funny thing is I remember getting the messages and the seeing the photos. I don't remember exactly where I was, but I remember the moment when I was reading it, Cody Rhodes winning the NWA title. And I remember thinking like, that is amazing. And I had a feel good moment. I hadn't watched a Cody Rhodes match. I don't think ever at that point. I didn't really watch. Well, you know, I saw a couple Stardust matches like the ladder match and all that. Uh, but I wasn't watching a bunch when Cody was on. So it's like all I saw was that he won the NWA title and it was, it was such a feel good moment. Imagine that times a hundred for this. Oh yeah. Uh, Sports Beard also says, regardless, the Sammy story has been one for the ages. I almost feel bad for Cody Rhodes because of how good this entire story was, dude. A hundred percent. This the Sammy story is incredible. Work of the, art. Yes. I feel nervous for Cody constantly because of that. But like we were talking about a little bit earlier. During the whole Cody Roman showdown, there were no Sammy chants, and I think that they're trying to figure a way to give the fans the best of both worlds. How do we do it all? And that's what's really exciting about watching Bloodline Story is how do we get it all because the Sammy story is the best story. But you don't want to root against Cody. You know what I mean? Like, you still want Cody. So, And as we said, props to both of them because to be able to pivot – like that is just a testament to both their talents as well as Sammy's for knowing when to back off. 
I wonder how long ago they decided they were going to make that change because the groundswell for Sammy has been a while. You know, from the moment that they announced that Elimination Chamber was in Montreal, some of us super fans were already talking about, can you imagine if they did a Sammy versus Roman for that? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I wonder if... Like, I wonder how long ago, like how much of this is actually just falling into place the way they wanted, knowing that the fans were not going to back down on the Sammy thing. You know what I mean? I I honestly think, and this is just sort of my observation, this smells of Heyman booking. Mm, yeah. And if he's involved, then it's not a matter of if it's always a win, because say what you will about the man, he knows how to book. He's brilliant, dude. Every time you think that Paul Heyman's done his best work of his life, he does a new thing, and it's better than anything he's ever done before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just constantly with Paul, you go, well, clearly that's the pinnacle of his career. And he goes, no, no, no. I'll just warm it up. And you go, fuck, no one else does that. Everyone's got, like, ups and downs. Not Paul. Uh, Good Cop, Bad Cop Wrestling Podcast says, Sammy Chance were massive at SmackDown in D.C. this last Friday. They were. Yep. But not during the Cody segment, but they were. The the fuck is every time he has an entrance now. Just the crowd, it's it it's reminiscent of like the Cena pops, where every time you hear the music, the crowd gets up and and jumps. You know what I mean? The the Daniel Bryan's, where as soon as his music would start, the yes chance would start. You know what I mean? Like Sammy's on that level of, oh my god, I can't believe we get to see Sammy right now. You know what I mean? You're- you're getting back to that it's something for him too you know is you're getting that ole 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 which you know i think is working because it's back to you know sort of his music sort of his style of things but it's evolved and yes that's something even Hammond said, you know, initially he was going to come in, be a B part player, you know, background, pure fuzz, and he ended up being like a centerpiece. Yeah. And yeah. Now he's white hot. Like, put him anywhere, people want to see it. And it's about damn time. And Sammy even said that when he was pitching the idea, it was more of a way for him to dance around the idea of the bloodline to kind of give the character something to do coming off of the conspiracy theory stuff. But, yeah, it became that he was just such a highlight of everything that if he wasn't involved, people were like, where is he? On oh, Sportsbeard brings up a good point. A lot of people have brought up this up in the opposite way, right? Sportsbeard says, Sammy was made at WrestleMania with the Knoxville match. He took something that could have been corny and made it epic. They will be talking about that match for decades. I think so, too, for a bunch of different reasons. But I feel like... A lot of people have said it the opposite way, where they're all like, look at how low he was. He was doing goofy comedy matches at Mania. Now he's talked about as, why is he not the champion, right? But I think the sports beard's actually right on this one. He's hit the nail on their head. No, no, no. That was a perfect example of what Sammy's capable of. This wasn't a step. This wasn't the bottom of the barrel for him. This was Sammy backstage, which you found out later was fighting for this match. Let me have a match with Knoxville. Let me do these things. Let me make it a crazy jackass match. And Vince kept saying, no, that sounds silly. That sounds stupid. And Sammy kept saying, trust me. And I think like Sam, like Sportsbeard says, it came off so good that one of the biggest reactions of the night. 
being body slammed by by Wee Man. Yeah, huge he, pop. Second to worked, Stone Cold, you know. He worked a match where it was the most ridiculous shit. You believed it was happening. Plus the person who was doing the match, he, an unexperienced yeah. and and I mean no disrespect, uh, an unexperienced midget body slammed him outside of the ring, and you believed it was you know the most devastating move in professional wrestling. Yeah, because he's it. that good. Yeah, and that was a Sammy thing. I even going into the match, I'm not a Jackass fan. Like I remember watching the first season, the first movie with my friends, and some of the stuff I would kind of laugh at. Some of the stuff I'd be like, oh, "This is kind of dumb." I wasn't that drawn into it when I was younger. So mm-hmm. the idea of Knoxville coming in to do this thing with Sammy to begin with, I was like, "Yeah, that's kind of funny" because they're both like quirky guys. But I don't see how this is going to play out in a way that I'm going to like. We were watching along with Sportsbeard. And I could find I could not find myself not smiling during this match. It was just so enjoyable because of everything that was going on and the way that Sammy pieced it all together. Like he was the mastermind behind that. I don't think anybody has any doubt to that. And I think that it was just the beginning of he can't fail. Like give him anything. Like what happens if we toy with him in the biggest storyline we have with the bloodline? Well, he's going to make it better. Really? You know what I mean? Like, well, and this is sort of the thing is, you know, and kind of hearkening to that, the, the match, John Cena said, uh, you know, it was in his promo against Roman Reigns. You know, they might cheer me, they might boo me, but the worst they, they can do is nothing. Yes. And with that jackass match with Johnny Knoxville, love or hate the match you watched and you wanted to see what was next, even if it was morbid curiosity, you know, and Sammy was so over at one point, AEW chants were giving the, you're not Usi to Chris Jericho. I think it was really that's yeah. And they did. AEW did not shy away from it. And I kind of like that. They're, WWE is not shying away from every other company. AEW is not shying away from every company. I think There's it's a what balance. Yeah. Yes. I think there is a proper balance that we're seeing a little bit of. I think AEW tends to err on the side of too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they could probably stand to pull back a little bit. Uh, but I do think that, yeah, there there is a nice balance of like, hey, we're not in our own isolated world. And so, yeah, I did love when Cody said, you know, I keep overcoming these mountains. You know, they said that this was going to kill me. They said the startups were going to kill me. They said that no, that you'd never get 10,000 fans to buy a ticket to see me and my friends put on a show. Like, yeah, they're saying yeah. it without saying it. Although, we'll talk about it tomorrow night. MJF doing a whole bunch of HBK and Triple H stuff in his match just for the sake of it. I don't, I don't agree with Meltzer often. And by often, I mean almost ever. But I had a hard time disagreeing with him about he's not sure that it's the best look to constantly have a character talking about how they want to leave your company. That when that was happening during WCW, it did not bode well for them either. Um, yeah. And I, I can't disagree with that because I feel like the, the more I see MJF do it, the more I go like, I don't know, man. This feels a lot like you're just shitting on AEW. And I don't know if that's – it's one thing to shit on your fans and to shit on their opponent. It's another thing to just say – I don't want to be here. <laughs> like, it's like MJF is great, but he's no Bret Hart. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
Uh, Sportsbeard says, when Stone Cold gives you props about how great your match is, you did good. I think that's true, too. I don't know that Stone Cold yeah. is super... I don't know that he uh, texts everybody after their match. You know what I mean? I think it yeah. takes him enjoying it on a pretty high level for him to reach out and say, you know what, dude? That's fucking cool. Um, although I don't think he texted him, I think, because he was in the arena, I think. But, yeah. Uh, and he also says, 10,000 at any show, I was impressed to let him say that. Yeah. 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 I think we all... I don't... I. I I'd hate to say that Vince McMahon would never, because I don't think that any of us really know what Vince ever does or doesn't want. But it did feel a little, a little different. It did feel a little special. It did feel like, oh, we're going there. Like, and I think that he said it in such a way that it wouldn't have shocked me if Vince was like, okay, but no more than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't want to like say that because I've seen other people say that too. Like, oh, biggest indication that Vince is gone is he said that. I was like, that's not the biggest indication. Biggest indication is Gargano wrestling every week. <laughs> And somehow it still seemed credible. <laughs> yeah. Or letting Asuka do her New Japan gimmick. Like, yeah, those are bigger indicators. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's keep it moving a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about Raw as we're talking about it, though, because uh, mm. we're still talking about Bloodline. Kevin Owens and Solo Sokoa. This match goes on. Jimmy comes out. First off, Solo is so good and i feel like that i know he's been wrestling since he was a baby like the usos but like there's no there's no missteps he, he wrestles like he's been doing this for 30 years you know what i mean yeah. like he wrestles like he's been wrestling longer than he's been alive uh so him and kevin owens worked amazing together uh they do the whole thing sammy comes out to save kevin owens from getting his ass kicked sammy reaches his hand out kevin owens rolls out cut to the back because we're just talking the kevin owens sammy line uh cut to the back sammy's like hey i know we don't get along this and that uh i know that you don't want anything to do with me but we got to do this and kevin's like you just don't get it i'm done with you done with you i got a question for you on the kevin owens thing i haven't gone okay. back to look it up is this was this the first time in in storyline of all of ko and sammy that Sammy actually turned on KO? No. And even then, was it truly a, a turn? Because I feel like it's always been KO. No. Um, Sammy's done it more than a few times. Um, like, it's been pretty equal. It just, you know, you, if you take NXT into context, it's been equal. When? Because uh, Kevin Owens started NXT by turning on Sammy. Right. And then it was, when they went main roster, then it was... Uh, it was Sammy, then it was KO. Like, it's been back and forth, kind of. But when? Because you know? I remember every time Kevin Owens turned on Sammy, and I don't remember Sammy being, like, standing side by side with KO and then kicking him. Well, it's not been that. It's not been, like, a shield turn. It's been more or less of a screw you, I'm with this guy sort of thing. Like, it's been a difference, because KO's character is very in-your-face, and, you know, he's very brash about it, where Sammy's more the, you know, slide okay, manipulator style. I'm asking you for, for examples, because I can't think of a single example of Sammy doing something that was like a turn on Kevin Owens. It always seems like a reaction to what Kevin Owens was doing. And the only well, reason I'm pushing you for it is because you seem to, to talk like you remember them, you know? I, I kind of do, and, and maybe that's 
kind of to the point is I remember it happening. I just can't think of a specific instance, which generally means it wasn't notable. It wasn't memorable. It was just, yeah, blah, blah, blah. It was during that point, most people tuned out and turned off. Do you think? Uh, Because even the the Daniel Bryan, Shane McMahon stuff, the way that that ended up turning, I thought was Kevin Owens too. And even then, from time to time, it's not been, like you said, Kevin Owens is brash. He'll just pick you up and powerbomb you into into something. Sammy, I don't know that he ever turned so much as like, hey, I'm going to go deal with this now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're going to go our separate ways. It was more or less a snub, less than a, you know, I kicked him in the face sort of thing. Which also but- kind of makes Kevin Owens in the wrong here. To hold the one time Sammy actually sided with somebody physically to hold that against him to this level to say i could never forgive you is like but sammy's had to forgive you a half dozen times at least you know what i mean well and that's true like that's that's more to the credit of the evolution of their whole thing because you figure nxt sammy was put out for almost a year because just Something it went wrong with that spine buster into the side of the ring. Uh, and that's sort of kind of where that's at is this is going to be that feel good moment where, you know, it's finally going to come together because fans want to see it. They want to see it finally stop feuding, stop this bullshit, just be the tag team, be the team we know you can't because. You know, kayfabe-wise, they could be a hell of a tag team, much like with um, uh, What's-His-Nuts and Sheamus. You know, we're Drew a great and... tag team. Yeah. Not Drew. Yeah. Uh, Claudio Castillo. Oh, The Bar, yeah. Right. The Bar was one of the best tag teams ever. Yeah. And it was organic. It wasn't, we threw together two random guys. We threw together two random guys with a great deal of history and who knows each other. Well, and they were great for like two years. Yeah. They were really good. Uh, and I know that we've said it for a long time. We do want at some point, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn to hold tag team titles together. Just, just once in their life for their own memories, you know, like, because as much as they've been feuding forever, you could almost argue that they've always had feuds going to make sure they both got booked. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they've kept like, them useful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like even on the indie scene, like, Hey, uh, book the two of us and we'll take our rivalry to your town. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like where, what, what deeper tag team connection do you need for two people? You know, wouldn't, uh, and this is just an aside going off, you know, ref marsh stuff. Because you're good mm-hmm. at remembering this sort of thing. If uh, Kevin Owens gets the tag titles, doesn't that make him a Grand Slam champion? When did he hold the Intercontinental? Early on, right? Yeah, it was really early on. Yeah. And he's heard, held the Universal. He's never he- held the World. That's true. But they've and been he's... really weird about that. That. You know, what makes a Grand Slam champion? Yep, yep. They've definitely been weird about it, especially when it came to the women. They've been weird about it, but that's because their titles come and go, and it's difficult. But, uh, it, I mean, it wouldn't be a shock to see him win the tag titles and start referring to himself as a tag team, as a Grand Slam champion. Uh, yeah. Because when I think about it, Miz has never won the Universal, but he's considered a two-time Grand Slam 
Yeah, he ha he only got the uh, the other one. He's gotten the world like two or three times. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. They're they're kind of you know interchangeable the two at this point, which I think they're going to do a separation at some juncture. For sure, but I think that the universal and world, I think, are equal to each other in their in their grand slam respect. So I would say that yeah, probably he'd be grand slam. Um, and then there's some sort of there's another version of Grand Slam, like the Ultimate Grand Slam or something, when it's you've held every belt. Because I think at this point it's like as long as you hold the tag, U.S. Intercontinental, and one of the worlds, that's a that's a Grand Slam champ. Um, right. Where I think that people like a Roman can say that they're like a double Grand Slam or whatever if they held all of them. Although he's never. Wait, why is he not the Grand Slam? Uh... He held the Intercontinental. I don't he held think... the U.S. I'm not sure, but something tells me there's a title he's missing. Didn't he hold the tag team titles with the Shield at one point? I thought all of them held the tag titles at one point. No, that was Ambrose and Rollins. I don't think he actually ever defended the tag titles. Because it was reason. predominantly on the Usos, because they were, hmm. you know, damn Team 3D for the last five years. Yeah, it could be, could be. Uh, let's see. The other thing that happened backstage was uh, Elias and Boogs were doing their segment, which was okay. <laughs> it's a comedy sketch. Like, I get it. it. Is. The, the problem is, is loud does not equal funny. Just because you're louder doesn't mean you're funny now. So Boogs constantly screaming, not funny lines, but screaming it loud as he can doesn't do much for me. Uh, I was more... I was more tickled, as it were, by Elias telling him to tell uh, uh, Bronson, I want to fight you. And then Bronson coming over to Elias and going, oh, you want to fight me? And then Elias being like, dude, what the fuck did you do? Like, that was that was funny. That worked out well. But to me, the big thing was the whole time that was happening, I couldn't stop watching behind them. Cody Rhodes talking to Kevin Owens and their hands yep. moving a bunch, you know, like they're getting into an, not a heated argument but a passionate discussion here. And it was very clear that Cody was trying to uh, appeal to Kevin Owens in some way. And Kevin Owens was being defensive uh, so much so that by the end of the show, when Sammy was getting his ass handed to him, I was like, Oh, here comes Cody because Cody's got an issue with the bloodline and he's got an issue that Kevin Owens doesn't take Sammy's side here. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, especially considering at this point, Sammy has saved Kevin Owens several times. Kevin Owens only kind of saved Sammy once and then even said, I didn't come to save you. I don't, if you were there or not, it wouldn't have mattered. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sammy's and the only one actively coming out to stop them fighting you. Kevin Owens has flat out said, I don't care if they fight you. I just wanted to get a free shot in, you know? And it's kind of funny because, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, Sammy cost them the uh, the chamber match, but at that same juncture, Sammy left the bloodline to protect Kevin Owens. Yes. That's so it's like wow. And that's that's real life. And and I applaud WWE for that. That's real life. Not everything is clear cut black and white like in the eighties. You know, in terms of wrestling, it's there are shades of gray here, and we've all kind of been in those positions. And I think that's what makes it magical is it's not, 
you know, forced. It's like you said, it's not forced. It's organic. It just works. Yeah. And me pointing out that I feel like that Kevin Owens is wrong in this. I think it's all part of the story for sure. I don't think it's a misstep or a, um, a continuity issue. I think that's part of what's appealing to me is that Kevin Owens is in the wrong. He's just wrong in so many of these aspects that you know at some point he has to come around. And that's what's been kind of exciting is watching it kind of pile up where you're like, Kevin, the fuck, man? Like, like you want to shake Kevin Owens, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like... And, and that's that's what's great about this is I almost feel like Cody was going, look, I know you got your problems, but if you want a shot at these guys, you're going to have to work with them. Yep. You're going to have to get over your shit. Yeah. And that's, God, it's just so good. I can't, I can't blow it up, smoke up this whole program of ass. It's just so good. Yeah. And so like, late. I'm, I'm invested. And speaking of the difference between the Vince era and the Triple H era, the behind the forefront storytelling, the how do we cross storytelling? How do we tell two stories at once with only getting one dialogue across? You know what I mean? And that's the Easter eggs behind it. The Nikki staring at Candace and following her around. that will finally bubble up to where Candace will say something on screen. The the Boogs and, and Elias story moving along, but you see Cody in the background talking to Kevin Owens and you go, Oh my God, there's something there. Like the hurt business oh, constantly meeting in the background. You know what I mean? The, the white rabbit stuff. Like I kind of feel like that's like, cause I've been thinking about that since the last time I was on because you know, Bishop made me think and I'm screwed because I said that. Yeah. You're done for. Um, cause I've been thinking about, you know, where did they go wrong with Bray? And I realized it's when he came back, two different bookers and now one of them's trying to compensate to fix that uh because the white rabbit stuff was so good you know that cryptic cr code stuff that was in little things and fans mm -hmm. started picking it up like an arg you know and we're seeing that now with a lot of the vignettes and there's, there's little details that the internet wrestling community really grabs upon but the casual fan can kind of enjoy following along. Yeah. Like that's just smart. Yeah. But that was all triple H. They were bringing right. triple H brought him in as the white rabbit. It's everything after the white rabbit. That's been a miss, which makes me wonder if, if triple H hasn't figured out where to pull back on Bray and his, idea. yeah. You know what I mean? And that may be a question of where he may need to take a, a little conversation with Bray Wyatt and sort of get, not Bray, but uh, Paul Hammond and go help this guy reach his potential. Yeah. Because I know that you can kind of read his lips. The undertaker kind of gave him his blessing, which is huge. Yeah. Which means that the undertaker thinks he's a billion dollar 15 year act. Yeah. Uh, they just, they got to get it like this. They're, the whole thing with Bobby Lashley, they're trying very hard to where it kind of makes a little bit of sense. You just wanted the big guy to fuck with. But it doesn't make uh, any sense because it's Bobby. Well, Bobby's it's Bobby because almost got to Lesnar first as the way it kind of came off to me. Sure, but then that makes Bray look even stupider. Bray picking and, on Bobby makes no sense to begin with because his whole deal... Because I said it last week, the whole muscle man dance thing was dumb. 
because <laughs> it told me, not that the fucking gimmick thing was dumb, but it told me the only issue Bray has with Bobby is his physique. Mm-hmm. That Which is so back shallow. Huskus. Like, they're, mm, they're, it doesn't. It kinda, and I'll tell you why. Because Bray's okay. Huskus story is that he was out of shape and was called fat a lot and was presumably Vince McMahon kept telling him to get into shape uh, and mm-hmm. that was going to be an issue if he couldn't get back into shape. So if Bray hates everybody who's in shape, then I guess. But what he's not taking into account is Bobby Lashley struggled more than almost anybody with that physique. This isn't the ultimate warrior. This yeah. isn't Brock Lesnar. You know what I mean? This is not your typical... Not that Brock or Ultimate Warrior are necessarily typical, but this isn't your typical, this guy is a physical phenomenon and we're going to push him to the moon immediately and give him a run for 20 years or as long as we can until he self-implodes. Bobby Lashley struggled constantly, forever. No matter how much Vince tried to help him, he struggled. Bray Wyatt, you can say he struggled, but I'm having a hard time feeling bad for him anymore. Because he's been yeah. given more opportunities than most, constantly. And as he reflects back and says, look at this rivalry I had that ended in my defeat. Look at this rivalry I had that ended in my defeat. You go, but yeah, you rivaled with all of their top stars. You yeah. were a top villain that they had to take down. You were given every opportunity to get over, and you did. And now you're mad because other people are in shape, and they floundered and faltered and never got it together. And you think that that's the pinnacle of your revenge is Vince liked you because you had muscles, but Vince also gave you every opportunity to have a rivalry with the undertaker, with Brock Lesnar, with John Cena, with Seth Rollins, with Roman Reigns. How much more could Vince had given you? You know what I mean? Well, the, the thing is, is that Vince gave him, and I hate the word, but it's true. Vince gave him the job or position. They needed somebody to lose to X star to put them over. But you've made me think, what if, and this may be the psychology because it's either the dude's physique, he's just fucking amazing, this is all Huskis the pig territory. What if it? I'm overthinking it and it's just the fact that they call Bobby Lashley the Almighty, which is sort of a reference to being a god. Would this be his way of Bray taking down a god? If that's how they positioned it, I'd be like, that's sick. If he, if Bray Wyatt was trying to take down the Almighty, that'd be one thing. But he's trying to take down the Muscle Man, right? And that—that's where that's it kind of threw me off. I, while I find the the small sticky stuff entertaining, it does kind of go, "Why the hell are, is this happening?" I knew we were going to have a problem when they had Bray Wyatt come out and cut a promo that meant nothing in three sentences and said, "Whoever wins between Bobby and Brock, you better run." I was like, "So you don't know what the fuck you want then." Even as a well, villain, you don't know what the fuck you want. You want anybody who wins this one match, like what the fuck, or whoever lost, or whatever the fuck. Like, and the thing is, is the problem it, when you complain about not you complain, but no, but I, I do complain a lot. You. But when you complain, it's theoretically about Bray being set up to take the job for all these top stars. Was that not the legacy of McFoley? Theoretically, it's not the legacy of Mick Foley because we think about him in every other way. But Mick Foley's win-loss record is awful. He, the only reason he wasn't in the job squad 
was because he wasn't in the job squad. <laughs> like, you know, he, he lost almost every match and literally lost every match that ever mattered. All your favorite McFoley matches, he lost. Because I think the faith was in Bray to get himself over even all those losses. They thought of Bray the way that they thought of McFoley. Incredible, credible, violent, something to take down. And if you beat him, you became more credible. Now, when you look at McFoley's win-loss record, you go, dude, everybody beat him. Why did it make him more credible? Because he was goddamn Cactus Jack at the time. And that guy was violent. I think that's the what they've painted Bray with over the last several years. And so for Bray to come back to Bobby and say, I don't like you because you got muscles, you're starting to get real thin here. You know what I mean? Like it's starting to get – of all the muscle men you can go for, Bobby is the one who had the most struggles and has given been given a lot less opportunity than Bray. So this comes off as Bray picking on Bobby, and that's shitty to me. Yeah. And, you know, I'm searching my memory and – Feel free to correct me because you will, because I adore you. Mm. This is almost a rotunda legacy because while the characters have always been over, they end up being jobbers to mm -hmm. everybody else. You know, IRS, I can only remember a handful of matches he won, but you remember IRS. Yeah, and Money, Inc. They were tag team yeah. champions and stuff, but not for a really long time. And that's what it was, is, is some of these Hell. characters have to be credible to take down and your top guys got to take them all down you know what i mean like bray was the top guy jobber the way that mcfoley was and that's a shitload of opportunity mcfoley's yeah. a legend a hall of famer a new york times bestseller like there's not enough credentials you can give mcfoley and how much people adore him and, and how much he means to them i have a mcfoley tattoo the only wrestling tattoo i have <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So for like, Bray to be this petty and petulant at this point in his character arc is starting to have a massive disconnect for me as someone yeah. who loved the career of McFoley. I'm starting to go like what you're, you were given opportunities and all your story is now is about how in kayfabe you failed opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And now you're getting vengeance on people because they were also given some opportunity. Like it's starting to not make sense. Right. Bobby failed and, all the time, you know? And Bobby, like for a lot of people don't realize what Bobby has been through in his life. Mm -hmm. You know, he comes off one way on screen because that's his direction. But the dude has been through some things and yeah. he's, he is legit as they come. Yes. Uh, much in the same way that he, the Iron Sheik, well-known name, everybody's a jabroni, you know, especially Hulk Hogan. <laughs> but the dude was legit. Like, shoot, was a dangerous MF. No question. Yeah. And I hope they can pull this around because, I mean, the dude at his height, Bray was selling $6,000 title belts. And was at one point the highest merchandise mover that there was, even when they were booking him to lose to everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And he was the world champion and universal champion more times than Bobby's ever been. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. This is where my I'm so disconnected to the Bobby part. If it was Brock Lesnar, because Bray and Brock one-on-one never quite took place, because they ended up rapping in the family with it, 
I'd go, okay, this makes sense. He's trying to write the wrong to match he never had, right? Right. And you were Vince's golden boy and always have been. I get it. Bobby Lashley's not that dude. As much as he wanted to be, as much as Vince wanted him to be that dude, he struggled all the time. So much so that they fired him and he came back after legitimizing himself. And then he struggled again for years. They give him a manager and then he struggles again. You know what I mean? Like Bobby's had such a difficult road. So for Bray to be picking on Bobby here is such a disconnect. That's true. It's And Bobby's story is kind of, in the same way married Drew's. Uh, because it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, they both... Ray going after Drew would make more sense, even though... Yeah. he's He had the, the failures. Because when he came back, he had none. You know what I mean? But, yeah. Yeah, it's... There are some disconnects. And we knew there was going to be growing pains, no matter who was doing the booking with this interchange. And... We can only hope it's like a lot of things have gotten better. And there, there's always going to be these things that are just not as good as everything else, especially, you know, when you're playing the B side to one of the hottest segments in professional wrestling history, you know, we're always going to be more critical of the things that don't make as much sense, don't have as much heat as we would want them to. Mm-hmm. Uh which is part of being a fan is we we blindside ourselves you know in the face of um such great storylines we kind of have that expectation that everything else is going to be just as good and that's not always going to be the case i mean as we were talking behind the scenes the women's tag division has been a shit show it's been bad like at least it's not bitches be crazy you know, I don't like you because you're a woman. There's some legitimacy behind it, but it's not been as uh, a focus. Like, we care more about Nikki Cross and, you know, the plausible sanity return than we do about what's going on with the titles. Even with two Hall of Famers, nobody cares. Yeah, let's talk about both of those right now, too. Nikki Cross yeah. being absolutely crazy in this match against Piper, I thought was fucking awesome. Kind of a short match. Piper gets the win, which was fine. But yep. I like that Nikki did not come out all mopey, that she came out crazy. She was doing crazy shit, jumping, screaming, clawing. Like, that was great. Defending Candice LeRae's honor. Yes. And her, the slight against her. And, you know, Nikki is and has always been a great storyteller if somebody just takes the reins back a little bit. Just kind of let her do her thing. Yeah. Uh, especially in her indie career. And this, like, I'm invested. I kind of get, and I see that complaint. Why does she care about Candace LeRae? And it's like, because Candace is that pretty girl that the average girl always wants to be friends with. And that sort of mentality to somebody who's chaotic and crazy makes a lot of sense. That's true. Especially with the pixie thing where she's kind of like extra pretty, delicate almost, but then as a fighter. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to the brash, you know, insane brawler, it's a very good compliment between the two. It's like when you had the the biggest time Nia Jax was over when she was tagged with uh, Alexa Alexa. Bliss. Yep. Yeah. Um, Let's see. And then talking about the women's tag titles, too. Like, look, I even saw some people talk about it. So far for WrestleMania, we have. Rhea Charlotte, Becky Asuka, or not Becky Asuka, 
uh, mm. uh, Bianca Asuka. And we have Becky Lee to Trish against Damage Control. A lot of people, I saw some people being like, it's crazy that the women's title matches aren't even the match that I'm most excited for. My faves aren't even involved in a match that, that is about the titles. But it is. And that's the problem is that we keep saying as women's wrestling fans that we want more women on the card. We have three matches. And one of those matches includes two tag teams and two singles in one match with tag titles that will not be defended or talked about. And to me, that's part of the problem is that's one match that could have been two. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it could have even had more women. You could have had the tag titles on the line in a fatal four way. If you had any tag team women on there, any women tag teams in general on the show, like not NXT. Yeah. Like I, the problem is, is they're like six of my favorite women and this match feels so cold. It feels like such a nostalgia. Lita did so bad in that Raw that it just makes you less excited because you're like, what is this going to look like? I'm bummed by it because I want more for them. At the same time, I know that they're going to look back on this and their career is a highlight just because they got to be in there and wrestle with Lita and Trish and all that. Like, And I get that. And Becky gets to forever say she's a tag team champion with Lita. That's special. That's great. I also feel like there was a little overcompensating happening. Once the entire internet was kind of shitting on that match, Becky started posting heavily about how much that win meant and posted a ton of pictures of the two of them with the titles and 15 year old me couldn't be happier. And if you had told me 10 years ago, this had happened, I wouldn't have believed you. Like she got really heavy with it. Almost to me begging the fans of, yeah, it was rough, but let's just be happy about the moment. You know what I mean? Well, the problem is, is it doesn't excite me for the next moment. I I have to agree to a very significant issue. I'm not a fan of Lita. I, I they, and that's a hot take. I'm just not. The only thing that made Lita relevant was looking like she was getting sex from Edge on TV in terms of, you know, popularity, and that she was, you know, screwing the Hardys. And that's that's not a knock on her capability, but that's what put her over. You know, Trish, she was pretty, you know, people we we want so much to see a woman performer like the, the Beth Phoenixes, the Chinas, you know, people like that. We want to see them put over, but the fans need to actually put them over. Yeah. You know, we can't keep seeing the same Hall of Famers do the same thing and do the same appearances like. You know, they're expecting Becky to carry this entire program just for, and mark my words, I'm going to pull a Bishop moment here, and I better be right because I'll be embarrassed if I don't. This is where Trish is. They're going to win the match at WrestleMania, and then Trish is going to turn heel, which is going to lead to a program with Lita, which is going to make Becky irrelevant all over again, and she's going to be on the shelf for another six months. And I get it. She needs mother time, but that's going to do a lot more damage than it is going to do good for the women's division as a whole. Hmm. I mean, I suppose I could see that happening in theory, but I just can't imagine do you actually want to go with Lita Trish one more time. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't see oh. it. I'd rather see Trish, Bailey, 
or Bailey Lita and Trish Becky. Yeah. But like, I'd rather see that do the rub, you know, on the way out, like his tradition. But, I mean, I don't know. It's just this kind of felt out of nowhere. It's nice that you kind of put the, well, Becky's got friends who are Hall of Famers. That's great. But it only has so much carry power. And you can't ask a performer to do but so much. You can only carry so much. Yeah. I want to be so excited for this match because it's like six women I like, and I don't I don't share your opinions on Lita at all, just for the record. But that's fair. That's also fine. I should be more excited about that interaction as well, right? Like, yeah, I'm, as a I'm, fan, you should care. Yeah, but you I don't. Super, and I only care to a small degree. I care in the degree of like, well, I guess that's nice for them, but it wasn't fun to watch. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You kind of want both. I want to be excited and happy for them and on the edge of my seat at the same time. And I don't think that as a fan that that's way too much to ask. I don't feel like the compromise should be like, hey, we're going to give them these feel-good moments that you can feel good about. It's just going to be a total mess to get there. Like, that doesn't feel like that's fair to either side. I want to be so excited for this match because you're talking about favorites of mine. To me, Becky's an icon forever. Bailey's a legend already. Lita Trish, obviously Hall of Famers. I think Io and Dakota are on their way. Yes. I'm just not excited about this match. And I think that the fact that we have those six women in one match and then the other two title matches seem less important than that one match is also a testament to maybe that's why the Beckys and Baileys have been in the title matches at Mania year after year. Bailey not because of her unfortunate circumstances time and time again. But... To me, like, you've already positioned Asuka and Bianca and Charlotte and Rhea to be singles WrestleMania stars, and somehow their rivalries, respectively, right now, do not feel as hot as this, and this doesn't feel hot. Like, this is the least excited I've been for women's wrestling going into WrestleMania. No match am I seeing coming up that I'm going like, oh my god, I can't wait. You know what I mean? Becky Bailey one-on-one was had me edge of my seat week after week are we gonna get this cage match are we gonna get this match like i wanted to see more of that this i'm just going like oh we're just trying to make a feel-good moment for some legends i guess i i'm gonna kind of throw this out there and you're uh, i'm gonna do a little history for you okay uh before oscar came she was in her prime as the kana gimmick like It was the thing. She was the joker of the women's division. And even when she came to NXT, you know, Regal didn't refer to her as Asuka. He called her Kana. Mm -hmm. Now, people might not understand the, the, the respect of that of coming from Japan to be able to keep that gimmick. But then they changed it back to her face persona. That, that history there because uh, Oscar's been wrestling a really long time. She does not look her age uh, at all. Uh, they're not harnessing that gimmick as much as they could be to have fans understand just what kind of a threat this is supposed to be. But that, at that same juncture, they've also given Bianca the Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns problem. is okay, they've ran through everybody in the division, Who's going to beat them? You know, and and that's a problem. 
because you have somebody with a huge amount of history who's even changed her in-ring style because a lot of people IWC haven't realized these subtle differences she's done has changed to where she's wrestling like old school Shinsuke Nakamura because she used to do heavy strong style. Uh, there's just a lot there that I think they could have really embraced to make the women's match, at least for the title, matter. Yeah. Uh, the women's tag, it's it's nostalgia. And I think it's because they've tried so hard to pivot the male division, which is the predominance of WWE, is that the women, again, are taking, you know, the back end. Like, Evolution, was it high numbers? No. Was it passable? Yes. Could they have done more to amp it up, do two or three to really... Because WrestleMania 1 was not the moneymaker. You didn't get to the real moneymakers till 3 and 4. The first two were passable at best. Most people can't tell you what was on the card for 1 and 2, but they can tell you 3 through 5. Yeah. Do you think part of this and part of the announcement... Well, I guess now is not too... It's kind of far out. You think part of this was that because I thought what we were probably getting was Becky and Trish against EO and Dakota and then Lita Bailey one on one. Right. I think it's kind of boiled down to Lita's not ready for a one on one and um, you know what I mean? It's going to protect the legend. So Becky's going to be in there a lot and Lita and Trish are barely going to be in it. Well, and that's that's what we saw with their their time in to get the titles in the first place. That's what I mean. That's kind of I don't know. I don't want to talk about it too much. It kind of bums me out. I want to be more well, excited. I've I've been living for Becky matches for years, and at this point, I'm all like, okay. Which Becky, you know, and a lot of people don't because IWC likes to think they're so fucking smart. Um. You know, Becky is one of those people that's a testament to the fact that Finn Balor, Prince Devitt, is such an amazing trainer. Hmm. He is the reason we have Becky Lynch yeah. today. For and sure. he never gets any credit for it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, let me circle back a little bit. Bianca versus Carmella. I just want to throw that out there. The Chelsea Green stuff with Carmella is so good. <laughs> That yes, <laughs> Bianca and Carmella together as like opponents work so amazing together. I think I saw a spot where Bianca was losing her grip, and Carmella took the reins and got them back to the spot supernaturally. Like I feel like that's what happened, but at the same time, I'm not sure because they're so good. <laughs> they work I, so well together. No, I agree. I. Because Carmella, you know, regardless of her win-loss, has always been very adaptable, and she's very quick to the ring. Mm-hmm. And she and, knows how to make everything look natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she knows how to play that Ric Flair-style heel of, oh, God, don't hurt me. Yes. She's very good at that. Yep. Uh, yeah, I saw a couple of audibles where she was like, hold on, we got to get back on track. Do this. And she's made it work. Yeah. It's Carmella's like Daddy. Natty can work a match with anyone and make mm-hmm. it look good. Dolph Ziggler, same way. Yeah. Like, she's a future lifer all around. If she wants it, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't I know why I know would ever get rid of a Carmella. She's too good. Uh, and her character work is amazing. I was also, we were talking about it, we were watching uh, NXT. Carmella, Chelsea Green, 
and Tiffany would make an mm -hmm. awesome Mean Girls faction. I kind of feel like the tag team with her and uh, Chelsea would be called the Karens. Because <laughs> they always want to speak to uh, to the manager. Here's his manager. <laughs> so funny. So good. Uh, yeah, I just I just wanted to throw that out there. It was the match I thought was so spot on, so good. The oh, stuff yeah. with Oscar afterwards. Carmella is so flawless out there. Like it's crazy. And that match and a lot of that outcome has bled over to, and smartly so, to Twitter, where it's been like Chelsea going, you need to take this down, and Asuka being like, yeah, I'll take it down, all right, never takes it down. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing is, I've been saying it for weeks, and I, I like that we even teased a little bit, Carmella's trying to get herself added to the women's championship match. Yeah. And I honestly think they should. Carmella shines in triple threats and oh, multi-women yeah. matches. You know, she does amazing in those and helps those matches go so well. And to be honest, Carmella, Asuka, and Bianca, I'm far more interested in than Bianca, Asuka alone. Not that I think Bianca and Asuka alone won't be good, but I think if you add Carmella, you're going to get magic. It would add an X factor that you, you almost wonder what sort of shit that uh, that's going to get pulled to see who's the champion, you know, much in the mm -hmm. same way with the, the money in the bank, you know, I My could God. even see, Whew. I could absolutely see a triple threat that Carmella comes out on top, walking yeah. out of the championship, pissing off everybody. And it was that whole, like they weren't even supposed to be in that match. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be here today. Yeah. I could <laughs> You're see right. That. I could see that for I, sure. And I would love it. I would care a lot more with that. Like I, I'm a kind of fan through and through, uh, but I could see that it would be a better match for it with that addition. I agree 100%. I've never thought a match is worse for having Carmella in it. If I'm being honest. No, I, I love she's back to the princess of Staten Island gimmick because God, I hated that whole prissy model weirdness gimmick. I love her as being the street girl you know, Chick is the princess of Staten Island. I think it works for her more naturally. I do want to point out, because I saw people talking about it. I've had two different people text me direct to ask about it. Mm -hmm. So I figure I, I should at least get my opinion out there. Um, what was going on with Corey Graves? Why was he so subdued during Carmella's match? Why wasn't he? What's Are Carmella and Corey fighting? I don't believe any of that to be true. I believe no. there, there are two things that were happening on Raw. And then we'll get back to like the in-ring stuff. I believe, one, Corey was kind of pulled back through a lot of the show. I think this was Kevin Patrick's time to step up, show up, or yeah. go up or shut up. You know what I mean? I think this is, you've been on the job training long enough. We need you to take the reins, KP. I think this was a lot of KP's time to prove his, his weight, right? Yeah, uh, I think that was part of it because he was taking a backseat more and more, Corey, because Corey's been running that table for fucking years as a color, which is insane. No one does that. No one. There's I will argue that one, but keep going. Let's talk about this subject. Name one color commentator who's ran the entire table. Who's ran the entire table. OK, the drama king himself. When he was doing his NXT, he was running that table. Matt Raywall, formerly known as Aiden English. Oh, I'm not. He Was he color? 
Yes, he was. He was color for NXT. He's he's and main event with it. He was second though. He was the second. Laquasto was his guy. Right, but he ran that table. He was the voice. He pretty much ran roughshod over everybody else. Being loud doesn't mean running the table. What I talk about when I'm saying running the table is not saying the most words necessarily, but pitching to the right things, getting the next guy to know what he's supposed to say. If you listen yeah. real close, closely to what Corey Graves is not saying, it's a lot of what KP is needs to start saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm I'm right there okay. with you, and I, I think that uh, Matt Raywalt was the, the better one, like that he was running rough He was doing that? Yeah. Um, I could be wrong, but that's my feeling on the matter. I only heard him do commentary a few times, and I remember not being all that into it, but that's also fine. Uh, yeah. But I think part of it was Corey giving KP some some room. Yeah, uh, Corey's better, knows. no doubt. Yeah. Uh, well, Corey's also, I think Corey's one of the best because people don't notice it. People hate him regardless. Like, he does a really good job at his job being able to get people to like the other people and hate him and still run the whole table and have people think that he's adding nothing to the to the conversation <clears throat> that takes a lot of work to do, be that busy and people think you're doing nothing <laughs> um he he kind of works that bobby the brain heenan sort of gimmick where it's not that he what he's saying is wrong it's his presentation of what he's saying yep. that makes him the asshole oh for sure um let's see but the, so there was another factor potentially vince being backstage may have people feeling a different way than they felt last week i don't know but I think yeah. the most important thing when it comes to Carmella specifically is he's not going overboard with how beautiful she is because that's not her gimmick anymore. Yeah. She had a shift in gimmick. Being sufferable where it was just like, oh, great. Here's going to be Corey Graves ranting and raving about her. But it's been dialed back and I like it. But that's the point. The point of him ranting and raving about her was to add heat to her. She comes out. And not only do you go, oh, my God, here comes that obnoxious Carmella. And now it's also, and my God, I'm going to have to suffer through that awful commentary. It added to the heat of Carmella's character as the most beautiful woman in all of WWE. You know what I mean? Like That's fair. I Putting in that perspective, I agree with you. Yeah, it was a double, like they doubled down on it. Uh, not only are you obnoxious and I don't like you, but I hate commentary whenever you're out there. I really don't want you out there. That's the kind of heat that can suck the air out of a stadium that allows for a pop like Becky to get at SummerSlam, right? Yeah. Like that was yeah. that was uh, all facets on, right? So I think that with this, she's not doing that gimmick anymore. She doesn't need that kind of heat anymore. She's establishing herself as the Prince of Staten Island, like you said, the moonwalking trash talking. She's going to get her character to that point because she's already obnoxious enough on her own. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he doesn't need to talk about what she looks like. He needs to talk about what she's doing in ring. Like, And that, you know, that's aided her a lot. Like, I, yeah. I do think there's some huge pluses to having both of them working a show rather than separating them because, you know, Commentators make a lot of those matches. They help emphasize what's really going on to the matter. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it is magic. Yeah. Can't deny it. Uh one more thing, and then we're gonna talk about the obvious big deal of Raw. Uh I want to talk to you about Baron Corbin real quick. Mm. Baron Corbin is so good at what you need to be good at in wrestling. He's a 
he can get heat. I've been in the arenas on live shows, on televised shows, uh, pay-per-views, house shows, and I've seen him perform on all those levels and always thought he was performing on the highest level at all those. I've been there when This Is Awesome chants are happening in a house show for Baron Corbin versus Cedric Alexander. <laughs> yep. On paper, do you think that anyone would chant This Is Awesome and fight forever? Uh, with Baron Corbin, current Baron Corbin, or old Baron Corbin when he was a lone wolf? Because that's... This was King Corbin. Matters. This was King Ooh. Corbin. King Corbin versus Cedric Alexander... 2,000 people in a house show chanting, this is awesome, and fight forever. I was there. I saw it. He's that good. He can get the crowd to hate him so bad that they want oh, yeah. Cedric to win so much. You know what I mean? Like, he's amazing at this. When when Randy Orton was asked about who some of the futures of, of the company are, he always talks about Corbin. Corbin gets it. Corbin is so good. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know why a Corbin, who really is the last person to beat Roman Reigns, pin his shoulders to the mat in like 2019. They acknowledge it. They acknowledge it. Baron Corbin to me has everything it takes to be Roman Reigns versus Braun or Baron Corbin WrestleMania night one, night two. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing about him that makes me think that he can't get there, but they don't book I, him there. No, no, they, they need to, cause he is, he's got the look, he's got the capability. He's got the great finisher. He can work a mic no matter which short end of the stick you give him. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Like I, I was a fan of Corbin when he was the lone wolf. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care about the balding, the hair. I didn't give a damn. He walked out and you knew he was going to mess somebody up. And he was strong. Yeah. You know, all this other, you know, Vegas gimmick stuff. I know it's a strap-on sort of thing. It's just, you're right. He, he could be the face of the company. They just need to just go for it. Just take the reins and go. He could also be the heel face of the company. He could be the dude who's going to torment Cody Rhodes for a year and take that title off of him and oh, get yeah. in Cody's way and piss people off for doing it. He could be the dude that stops Sami Zayn from getting his retribution on Roman. He could be that dude who's on the top, but he's not. And that's the part I don't get is, A, I don't know what Corbin wants with his career. I don't know how much money he's making. I don't know what he does when he's outside of work. A little bit. I know mm -hmm. he likes smoking meat and drinking bourbon and smoking cigars. So he sounds like yep. a dope dude. Very expensive things that I enjoy producer as well. Producer Lady! Shout out to Producer Lady! Yeah, big shout outs to Producer Lady Cameo. <laughs> what? Look. What? Uh, but here he is trying to get on with the maximum male models. Here he yeah. is down on his luck again. And I just wonder. I'm not saying it's not a fine use for him, and I'm not saying he's not going to do great with it. But I don't see... Corbin as that dude although I guess arguably he was most popular when he was bum ass Corbin yeah so it's tough for me to watch him do this stuff because I go god Corbin should be on the top of mania fighting for world titles but here he is trying to get to be honest the maximum male models 
is equal to or lesser than the cheer squad or the spirit squad. 100%. This will not be the gimmick that anyone goes on to end up in the Hall of Fame for. This will forever be the gimmick of, can you believe Dolph Ziggler got out of that? Whoever makes themselves on the other side of this is going to be the one that people say, I can't believe this, but look how good he is. He survived that. You know what I mean? Well, it's like with the Nexus. Nobody's going to the Hall of Fame over the Nexus. doesn't matter how good some of those people were. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And that's also not to say that I don't like everyone involved in it. I think Massey and Mansois, I think both those dudes are awesome. And I think that they're both very good in the ring. I think they're both doing very good at getting those characters emoted. They're executing great. They have a lot of room to go. They're they're very green. They're still very new, and they're still learning, but they're giving it their all, and I think that's awesome, and I think both of them have the capability of doing much more. I think the bummer is, before we saw Masse, before we saw Mace, we saw Dio Madden take an F5 from Brock Lesnar standing nose-to-nose, and people said, oh, shit, that's a big boy. You mm-hmm. had someone who could have had a match against Brock Lesnar who now has glitter on his eyebrows. Be that as it may, he's doing the best job he can with it. I don't know why Corbin's involved in this. Bro, and, and the thing I, I think that takes away from it, it would be one thing if, you know, they were talking about, you know, a team like, you know, with fighting pretty boys. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than, okay, we see the vignettes, we see the backstage. But we see nothing else. Yeah. Like, that's true. It's great that they're embracing Otis and kind of going towards back where he was when he was the most over, where he finally got Mandy Rose. And, you know, he was that average dude who, you know, hit the top tier. You know, they're just, it, it's great that they're trying to go that route, but there's no reason for anybody to care. And even for, You know, Baron Corbin, why does he care about a group that doesn't wrestle? He's always been that fighting guy, even when he was his most obnoxious. That's true, too. Yeah, even when he was bum-ass Corbin, he was fighting. He was getting in matches because he wanted to to make money, right? Like, hey, I'll do it for this much, right? But his whole thing is if he can beat Gable and get him out of the way, that they'll take him on, and he ends up tapping out. And I get it, Corbin's out out on his luck, but, like, how much more is he going to try to do this? And... I just don't know where we're going with Corbin and how we build him back up. And like you said, I I agree and disagree at the same time about like, no one's got a reason to care about the models, but at the same time, like watching Otis with the models gives me enough of a chuckle that I go, okay, I get it. It's a funny little thing for a moment. It's fine. Like we need, we need little giggles here and there. That's not a problem for me, but yeah, that person's not going to main event WrestleMania. Yeah. No. Uh, and, and I'm not buying I a mean, model shirt, but I'll buy a Corbin shirt. You know what I mean? Yeah. And something else to be said about that whole setup is that, you know, the Chad Gable, bless his heart, is one of the most talented people in the ring. And he's even a B-side player in his own faction that he's supposed to be the head of. Yeah, it's crazy. And they need to undo that. They need to make this. He was a credible threat for like a year. He was, he was the next Kurt Angle, and then they just went, be a comedy act. Yeah. Um, oh, man. 
there, well, there's a lot of work to be done, you know. I know. I just want him to be the top, dude. He's so. Cool. I do, and Me I want to have a. I, I want to have a smoke with him. Like that. That's fair, because I I know he's uh, his whiskey gimmick. I know he interacts with wrestlers outside of WWE for, so it's hilarious to watch him. No, it's great. Um, uh, but, but maybe he goes to rock bottom. And kind of goes back to his lone wolf roots, and that makes him more vicious, more, you know, badass. And then we can take on some of that charismatic personality. Maybe, but we've been doing a lot of this. So we've already just done a hard turn. Nikki's back to Nikki Cross. We did a hard turn. uh, Carmella's back to Staten Island. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. Why are we taking all these steps for Corbin to slowly take him back to lone wolf? I don't buy that. This looks like hard turn, take him back to unlucky Corbin. That's what it feels like. It feels like Triple H saying, you know what? You were most over when you were doing this gimmick. Just go back to that. People liked it more when you did that. Just do that. This doesn't feel like a slow progression to get somewhere. This feels like this is where we're going. This is it. This is what we want is an unlucky Corbin. And that's well, what I don't get. I've kind of felt like this is my observation, and I can absolutely be wrong, and I'll take that. Uh this feels more like Triple H is bringing everybody kind of back to the basics of where he put them because NXT with every one of these people who are in NXT were over and white hot great. Everybody wanted to see them. And I think he's kind of bringing everybody back to that basis and then he's probably going to evolve them. I could be wrong, but... But it's just not working in every asset. Like Piper Niven's yeah. not as over as Dewdrop was. She's just not. She gets less TV time and less crowd reaction than ever before. Gargano is flat as hell. He comes out to to absolute silence. Gargano's music is more over than him because you can hear it. Because Dexter nothing Loomis. gets in the way of it. Dexter Loomis is the focus of Gargano matches. And, Gar- and, and Loomis isn't even over. The focus is on a dude that no one gives a shit about while someone else that no one gives a shit about is in there in a match where people are trying to figure out why that person's not fighting someone else. It yeah. was the least amount of reaction I've ever seen for a Finn Balor match until Edge and, came out. And then all of a sudden the crowd woke up and it was obvious. And that was sad. Well, and that was the setup. And you, you kind of got to feel bad because Gargano can wrestle his ass off when given the opportunity. Dexter Loomis can get over if you let him. You okay, know, but they are, but they both were let. They let Dexter Loomis try to get himself over. They let Johnny wrestle every fucking week. Not only do they let Johnny wrestle every week, Elimination Chamber arguably was designed to get Johnny over and then hopefully also get Bronson and Montez over. But really, it was a Johnny thing. Royal Rumble, booked to get Johnny over as well. We're going to do all this other stuff, but Johnny, you stay in there for an hour. Like, it was... Well, they've done a lot to get the crowd to care about Johnny wrestling. And no one cares about when Johnny wrestles. I, and I could kind of agree to that, but I think that Elimination Chamber was more about putting uh, Logan Paul into the mix because they needed a reason to make him make that sense. Was, that was their out of the match. That's how they got out of the match. But in the match, it was all Gargano and Montez. He had some great spots. Don't get me wrong, because he was the one I was watching. I didn't really care about everybody else. That was the point, I think. Yeah, and you could be right about that. It makes, like, he has every makings of a star. He's been a star before. 
you know, but Except stars get cheered. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where he's at now. Now he's a B side act and people kick you know you're screwed when the guy standing outside not moving through your match is getting more camera time than you are. Yep. Yep. Um all right. Let's wrap this up. Let's talk a little bit about the big thing. Boston, John Cena comes out, doesn't say a word before Theory comes out. Theory comes out, gives John Cena the opportunity of a lifetime to have a match at WrestleMania against Theory for the U.S. title. I got a lot of feelings about this. I want to know your first takeaway from John Cena versus Austin Theory, Mike to Mike. Uh, Mike to Mike, Theory does not hold a candle to John Cena, and this was a sink or swim moment. Like, Cena, for what, people talk a lot of shit about him. But when it comes to the mic, he was one of the few that could hold time with The Rock. There was no person he couldn't run the mic with. And he was, that's because he was groomed day one to be what WWE wanted. He's pure WWE product. No indie time. Uh in terms of that, I don't think Austin Theory is there yet. I think he was pushed way too early. He's done great for what he's gotten, but way too early. He's not He's not there yet, in my opinion. And he looked bad dealing with Cena. Here's my take on it. I think that's well, what they wanted you to take away from this. Mm-hmm. I think that Theory... Go back and watch when John Cena came out and ran over Roman on the promos before the SummerSlam stuff when it was Roman in the vest. Suffering Theory. Austin Theory did much better not getting frazzled than Roman. Roman got frazzled and lost and at one point was like, just shut up because he was trying to get his thoughts together. Yes. Theory didn't have that problem. Theory's not afraid of that issue. I do feel like Theory kept his script, and I feel like Cena did not. And I feel like Cena was trying to push Theory to get off script a little bit. Yeah. So I did feel like Theory was all like, hold steady, hold steady. You know what I mean? (laughs) And I think the story here is that Cena's trying to be the voice of what the fans are saying and thinking about Theory. So that coming out on the other side of this, Cena can come back and say, I was wrong about you you got a lot going on, right? And I think that this is going to be designed not just for Cena to take a loss and Theory to have a win and therefore he wins, that's good. I think this there's a lot more to this and I think their match is going to be killer. I think they probably will talk on the mic one more time or two more times. This felt like Cena trying to push Theory to his limits, beyond his limits. And I think that Theory very much held his limits safe, <laughs> did not go beyond. But I thought he, he did so safe. much better than Roman. Oh, yeah. Roman was a shit show and a half. And, and this drowning. It's that passing of the torch. And you noticed it was a passing of the torch where this is that moment for theory. Is when he mm-hmm. said, you're at ruthless aggression. You need to get better than that. And I think that's where it went off script is that was John talking, John Cena talking to theory going, you have it all. And I agree. He has every capability to be the next Austin Theory, as it were, not the next John Cena. 
Yeah. I think this is the passing of the torch. This is finally seen as done because he he can work a match with whoever he wants. He yeah. chose theory. Exactly. And I think this is the story they want to tell here is Cena doesn't think theory's ready. I think that also Cena's daring the crowd to eat mm -hmm. theory alive because I think yeah. Cena knows that theory needs to be pushed. That's what the whole thing with Roman was. Look at yeah. Roman on the other side of Cena. He got pushed too far and then said, fuck it. You want to talk? Let's talk. And then that's when Roman came out. That's when the beginning of the Roman heel turn really kind of started to bubble in the back of people's minds and stuff. You know, Cena yeah. knows that theory will play it safe as long as he can. And he's trying to make it not a safe place to play it safe anymore. Because yeah. I think he thinks that theory will swim. Mm -hmm. I also thought it was really funny that he said it's the perfect name because you're just a theory. You're a theory, right? Right. Do you know why Austin Theory picked Theory as his name? Uh, no, I don't. He's told the story before. When he was, he's Austin Theory because a theory is unproven. And he's unproven. That doesn't mean it's not true. It means that now he has to go out there and prove himself. And that's why he named himself that. I think it's really cool, but at a certain point, does it become Austin be Hypothesis? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you stay Theory forever? Does does he become Austin relative? I mean, yeah, he's Austin thesis now. Yeah, the Austin thesis. Like, <laughs> that would be so good as a gimmick. Yeah, just to go through it. But I think that we got. I think everyone's reaction about how theory was drowning out there is the exact reaction they wanted because I think that. I think that I mean I, that was all by design. I think it yeah. was all by design. I don't feel like that that was off the rails. Where when you watch Cena with Roman, you go, this has gotten off the rails. When you watch Cena with, with Rock, you go, this has gotten off the rails. Cena's known to push people past their limits. For better or for worse, Theory stayed standing strong and didn't get flustered. The other guys got flustered. They're trying to well, fluster him now. I feel like next time they're gonna they're not going to give him his, his ability to stand on his own, you know? There's only been, I think, two people that have held, and this is probably a little bit of shade of personal bias, but the only two that have ever held to Cena face-to-face -face has been The Rock and Bray Wyatt. Mm -hmm. Like, Wyatt ran a great magical program with Cena, whereas most of them you couldn't care. Like, they had a whole fucking thing, a whole skit line of... Cena's career and to be fair it's well known he had a part in that so to yeah you're just not like Cena taking an interest in theory because he does watch the product especially on the heels of we have Fast and the Furious which you can kind of look at that line when he was doing Peacemaker you didn't see him uh -huh. you know with Fast and the Furious he could have said no, but he said, this is the guy I want to work with. And that's I that's the the vouch. And you're right. He's going to push him. He's gonna, They're probably not going to go, here's a script. They're going to go, sink or swim, buddy. Enjoy. Yep. And that's when we're going to see him. Yes. Yep. And I think Cena was just like shaping the lines. Them. It was so good. It was natural. Like, even on a script, you kind of believed where Austin Theory was like, 
yeah, I'm going to give you what you wanted last year. And Cena was just like, you're just beneath me. And he was like, fuck you. I'm not beneath you. Let's do this. It wasn't a beneath you thing. Cena never said you're beneath me. He said you're not ready. And if you beat me, you lose. And if you lose, you lose. He's like, you're in a place right now where your career is in a really delicate balance. And as as a mentor, as I have been there myself, I'm protecting you from them. He was protecting Austin from the audience. If if we do this, they'll kill you. They'll destroy your career. They'll hurt you more than I ever could, right? No matter the outcome. He was being a protector of theory. And then theory does the whole, let's ask the audience. And Cena's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm protecting you for them because I know them. And they know me. And I protect them too. He's protecting the audience from Theory's downfall as well, because Theory could be the future. John was the mediator between the two. Theory, I know what you want, but I also know what they want. If we give you what you want, they'll take away what they need later. They'll just they'll be their own undoing. And then when Theory's like, well, let's hear from them. He goes, well, now we've now we have to hear from them. And now you're done for. Now you're fucked. So this allows Theory room to on the other side not be destroyed and grow exponentially or be destroyed. I guess and, we'll see what happens. And that's true. Uh, I also think it was refreshing that nobody talked about the magical shovel to bury X, Y, and Z. That was refreshing. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that they went into new territory for this kid, and I agree. Austin Theory is the future of the company. Bar none. He's got the skill, the look, the capability. And putting him in a match with Cena is either going to... It's a sink or swim moment. Yep. He's either going to be the best or he's... And I hate to say it as much as I love the man. He's either going to be the next, you know, top-level performer or he's going to be the next Dolph Ziggler. Mm, yeah, be there forever there's, and doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with both. They both have their merits. But this dude could be a money maker. Yeah. The guy you pay tickets to see. Mm-hmm. But if he doesn't, like, this has got to be a, a sink or swim moment. And I hope the best for him. I would love to see him be a main eventer, a top talent. Mm-hmm. But is he going to get there? I think that that's down to WrestleMania. I'm not even sure they're going to need to touch the mic at this point. It's going to be that match. And to be honest, that's the match I care about the most because that match is going to be whether Austin Theory has a career in the camera or a career behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Could be, could be. I do think that I don't think this is the last we've heard of both of them until Mania. I think you. I don't know if, how many more appearances Cena would be willing to make one to one there, but I would think one more before probably the night before probably the the smackdown or raw before uh and i think that theory would probably cut a promo or two on his own about the whole thing i wouldn't even be surprised if you got a satellite drop in from cena at one point you know but i do think that we're close enough but we're also too far away to just not say anything you know uh we'll see how that all kind of plays out see how it plays out i hope that next season on young rock that theory plays cena that would be so good. <laughs> be so good. Like, 
I love that show, and it's a guilty pleasure because when yeah. you know what you know and then you see it on screen, you're like, yeah, that had to be rough behind the scenes. Which, speaking of which, okay, and I'm just throwing this out there because I know you don't really pay attention to the dirt sheets. Rikishi has said he wants to come back one last time to unfuck the bloodline. To be that voice to get them together. And I think that would be amazing. That would be good. That would be good. Or just the rock thing doesn't work out too well because it's too, okay, that's what they're going to do. But when one of the the old school guys for the reason of protecting their family shows up like Afa or Sika would also be amazing. They just they need to pull the trigger to bring that island of relevancy back to that concept because it used to be a thing in wrestling, and you're old enough to remember this. If you were Samoan, you were a badass star that it didn't matter what you did, you were the most vicious SOB on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. And like most of these modern audiences don't understand that. Samoan gimmick. Like, I think that's where we're yeah. going to see uh, Nia Jax again. Oh, I don't think we see Nia Jax again. I, I think we see her with the bloodline. I don't think no it's going to be Naomi. I don't think they're going to put a woman in the bloodline. I think they'll break out the bloodline before a woman joins the bloodline. Because I think if you were going to do it, you had already done it. You have Tamina. You've always had yeah. Tamina. You know? Um, it's a fair point. Yeah, and that's um, what you do here on Wrestling on the Rocks. We bring up fair points that the five-star commentators won't bring you. <laughs> that's a good point. Good point. Um, well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. We've got some things to do, uh, and I think we we covered a lot of a lot of everything to be honest. So, thank you for coming through. Do you want to tell people where they can find you? Um, you can. Uh, I'm going to do something a little different because I've had where I'm normally found on the bottom of my screen, and I I think yep. you'll appreciate this. Yep. Uh, it, it's supposed to come through. Come on. There it is. The woman who would be king, my my boss, here. Mm. She just released her autobiography. I think we're sold out in the first run. There's going to be a second run. Uh, it's an amazing book. She's an amazing lady. Learn your history. Learn your roots. You'll understand why Beth Phoenix gives her a lot of that credit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, yeah, there. You can find me there. Yeah. Or there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, uh, and she's, uh, Medusa's going to be at WrestleCon, too, with me. So uh, if you want to come by and say hi to, to us and get a signed copy, because I think she's, she's the, the first run sold out, but she's got a box of the books so she can sell them and sign them for you at WrestleCon. So if you're in L.A. for WrestleMania, swing by, I believe, Friday and Saturday morning, um, 9 to 10. I, so. Can I get an autograph, Marsh? Because I want your autograph. Yeah, I'm signing all of her books when no one's looking. Oh, what? Yeah. See, now I need to send you my book. Behind her back. And it's not gonna be in the front. It's gonna. I'm just gonna open up to a random page and just sign on the bottom, so people go, yeah. "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> if you're not following this channel, if you're not giving Marsh enough love, you really are missing out. So give this man some props. YouTube. He's on everything. If you want the most real opinion that'll make you think, this is where you want to be. Oh, yeah. We appreciate that. Uh, what have you been drinking today? 
Uh, absinthe. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyone who's watching live, check out Medusa's stream tonight because it feels like it'll be uh, chaos in the chat. Yeah, we got seven o'clock as the drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be going seven to eight on the YouTubes. And yep. then we have eight to whenever for her chaos on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, YouTube.com slash Queen of Carnage. Uh, outside of that, I've been having coffee with vodka because that last espresso martini drink was so garbage that I decided to make my own sort of thing. Good uh, man. But we'll be back tomorrow night uh, to talk AEW Revolution. Miss Amanda Jane was there. She was in Ooh. person, so she's got her own views of it. Uh, she'll tell you when she got up and walked away, when she got <laughs> the merch. Uh, she's going to talk about it all. So uh, join us tomorrow night for a brand new episode one right here in the yeah. die bar of the IWC. That's the last call. Later. Hey, producer lady here. Thanks for tuning in. Continue to support us or buy us a drink by following and putting the I and subscribe on Twitch. Or subscribe and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. Cheers. I would never have a drink with wrestling on the rock.